Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the podcast that follows the money behind the beautiful game. I'm Kevin Day and you know what? I'm loving the rain. I'm quite romantic in the rain actually. Um, And over there in Sussex, not 24 hours since I spoke to him on a Palace pod, it's football finance expert at Liverpool University, Kieran Maguire. Hello Kieran. Hi Kevin. It's very gracious of you to come on our Palace pod yesterday. Um, Please don't listen to it because you left after the first part and then we critiqued it in the second and third part. I say, I say critiqued. We talked about you being a Brighton fan. Um, Kieran, I think we need to start with an apology, uh, first of all, or <laughs> you do. Oh, I do. Um, uh, yes. Now, uh, Kieran, we know that we have a lot of listeners on this pod, and many of them send us nice messages. Uh, from the rest of you, until now, nothing. Uh, make one mistake about the name of a German football team. Boy, boy, was our post bag bulging. Boy, that's the... The postman's sack was was full. Uh, um, yeah, we did we did accidentally say that Bayer uh, owned Munich and not Leverkusen. It just happened in the heat of the moment. It's one of those things, Kieran, where I've spent nine months building up a reputation as the lovable idiot on this pod, so no one seems to mind that I was involved in it. But it's just one of those things. To, to, to those people who specifically said Swiss Ramble wouldn't make a mistake like that, that's probably true. He wouldn't, but he's got 120 fact-checkers. So there you go. Kieran, anything to say? Well, uh, mea culpa, it was it was my error. I, I even wrote down Leverkusen when I was doing the show notes and then for some weird reason said Bayern Munich instead. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that the audience are, are taking an interest and uh, it's it's good that people uh, are, are so committed to the show. I, I got it wrong and I'll do my best to try to minimise the number of errors in future. Yeah, but you know, every time you get something right, do we get a tweet to say, well done, you got that right? No, we don't. Uh, uh, it, it is partly my fault. I do host the pod after all. Um, technically, my name comes before yours, but uh, I had, as usual, half drifted off and was also half preparing for the next question. So, yeah, plus I think there was a blackbird outside the window as well. So I'm, I'm, I work on levels of Homer Simpson type distraction. So don't don't look to me to correct you. Um, now we've got it's it's a Thursday, so we've got uh, several stories for you. But of course, today's dominated by one massive story: um, the decision on Tuesday to end uh, League One and League Two with promotion and relegation decided playoffs to to go ahead. Um, as part of our first story, Kieran spoke to Tranmere Rovers chairman Mark Palios after his club were 
relegated. Trust me, I think you can say it's a forthright chat, Kieran, wasn't it? Yes, Mark was uh, was very blunt. He's uh, he's still very upset, and uh, you, you can understand the reasons why. Yes, we can, and we'll get into those in a minute. We, I have to say, for all those clubs that missed out, well, missed out on relegation, uh, missed out on relegation. For all those clubs that missed out on the playoffs or were relegated, you do have our heartfelt sympathy. I'm a Palace fan. Kieran's a Brighton fan. We know the pain of relegation. Uh, him more than me, obviously. Um, and Palace have been relegated in strange circumstances. The only season four teams went down. We were the fourth team to go down. We had 49 points. So it's not the same as your situation, but we do send our uh, condolences to all the fans who feel they're hard done by by this. So before we talk to Mark Palios, so Kieran, it was a fairly big majority, I understand. So what exactly was decided and what were the voting patterns? Well, um, as far as the proposal was concerned, it was to uh, work out uh, final positions based on points per game. And um, it was to ensure that there was a relegation. And clearly, this is implications for the clubs at, uh, at, at, both, at both ends of the table. Um, in respect of relegation, it did mean that, that Tranmere, who are who are three points behind Wimbledon, AFC Wimbledon, but do have a game in hand. Mm. And they ended up being relegated because they were effectively given 1.7 points or something of that nature for that final game. Um, so so they, they were big losers. And in terms of the biggest winners, um, and I think this will be a pub quiz for, for future years, which club went from eighth to third in a table without any games being played and were promoted as a result. Well, well the winners of that were Wickham Wanderers. The top of League One is very tight. And um, they, again, had a game in hand. And when you added their points per game to their game in hand, that that, that took them from outside of the playoffs into a promotion position. Um, as you can imagine, there are clubs, fans and owners from, from that part of the division who are uncomfortable. Um, there were a series of other proposals which were rejected at the meeting, um, in, including a, a very intriguing one from Ipswich, which was uh, to have playoffs. Anybody could be in the playoffs. All they had to do is to say they wanted to be in the playoffs. So oh, nice, if you didn't yeah. want to carry on playing the season, you just you just dip, dipped out of it. But um, and all 24 clubs could have been in the playoffs as, as far as Ipswich were concerned. So uh, that was uh, that was rejected. Um, Barnsley had a proposal that if clubs were to be relegated, then they should pick up the TV money from the division from which they've been relegated from in effectively a parachute payment. That was rejected as well. Um, and when we came to League Two, um, there is going to be relegation. Um, and by all accounts, this is being uh, very much forced through because the fear is that although the League Two clubs themselves indicated they didn't want any relegation, uh, the clubs in the championship were concerned that if uh, if this did go through, then the Premier League might use this as a precedent and say, well, there's going to be no relegation from the Premier League as well and no promotion uh, in addition. So it all started to get very complicated. Um, but in terms of the final votes... Um, by all accounts, I think it was 23 to 1 in favour in League 2 
and in League One, um, it was 18 to 4. There's 24, well, there were 24 clubs in theory in League One. Uh, Berry, uh, Berry clearly have been expelled from the Premier League. Mm-hmm. And apparently, uh, and this is from reading uh, Matt Slater's com- column in The Athletic, um, the Bristol Rovers' internet connection didn't work, so therefore their vote didn't go through. Oh, Lord, really? So that, that, that 23 to 1 figure is very interesting then, because that clearly indicates that some clubs didn't vote in self-interest then, because that, that means somebody must have been relegated by voting for these proposals, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, well, ultimately, in, in uh, remember in League Two, only one club is going down this season because we are returning from a 71-club uh, EFL to a 72-club next season. So you, you, I would imagine the club that uh, wasn't happy about the relegation clause was Stevenage, Although relegation is not guaranteed for Stevenage and, and they have two potential ways of avoiding it. Um, f- uh, first of all, the EFL said that relegation would only take place in League Two if the National League next season is taking place. Right. Now, no decision's been made as far as the National League returning. Um, given that it hasn't really got a TV deal worth talking about, um, and there is a potential of matches uh, being unable to take place before a paying audience, it could be that it's not financially viable for the National League to take place. So Stevenage could avoid relegation on that basis. Secondly, um, whilst they are three points behind Stevenage, there is yet an... Sorry, they're three points behind Macclesfield. There I'm all, is over, yet I'm all over you this week, Kieran. Sorry? I'm all over you this week, mistake-wise. Yeah, come on. <laughs> uh, three points behind Macclesfield. Um, Macclesfield have yet another charge for uh, not paying their wages in March. Um, and again, sort of reading some of the, the local press stories, it appears that the owner the owner only paid the, the wages in May by taking it a lo- uh, taking out a loan from the supporters' club. So yeah, it's it, it's not over. That fat lady is not finally. Uh, stop singing as far as the relegation position is concerned. So the irony is at the bottom of League Two that after all this, it may still be for other than football reasons that, that Stevenage don't go down, um, which sort of complicates things. Uh, if the National League doesn't happen, presumably two teams are still coming up from the National League, are they not? Uh, to replace Berry and or Stevenage and Macclesfield? Well, I... Th- it, 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 I'm not so sure because if the National League is not going to take place, does that also mean that the National League playoffs are not going to take place? Because uh. the, the promotion is normally the side that finishes top, which by all accounts is Barrow, and then you've got the playoffs on top of that. Um, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but, you know, these, you know, it's, it's ironic that, um, given a, a show which, is based on spreadsheets, sort of loosely, um, that promotion and relegation is going to be based on spreadsheets rather than football. Yeah, and given the financial implications for a lot of clubs, Kieran, do you think the the points system, because uh, again, that was something for debate, wasn't it, whether they just leave the league positions the way they are. They came up with this kind of strange Duckworth-Lewis point system that doesn't seem to have made that much difference except for one or two clubs. Do you think that was the fairest way of doing it? Well, 
Yes and no. I mean, it, it's trying to find a better system, um, especially if you are going to rele- have relegation. But surely it's a bit like abandoning a game after 70 minutes and saying, well, well, that will be the score at the end of 90 minutes. And, and that, that that seems to be, it, it, does, it doesn't fit easy with me. Uh, you know, if you think about Manchester United in the Champions League in 1999, they, they were losing to Bayern Munich until the 90th minute. So, you know, football is, it's 90 minutes plus injury time play, played over 38 or 46 or 44 games. Mm. Um, and that's what we sign up for. Um, once the spreadsheets and the lawyers and the accountants get involved, uh, the game does lose, um, I, I think, a lot of its credibility, integrity. Yeah, one thing I'm slightly uh, not dubious about, but I can understand this being a reason why relegated clubs may be upset, is the fact that playoffs are still going to take place. And it seems to me if I was a fan of one of the relegated teams, I'd be saying, well, why are some clubs able to decide their fate by playing football and others aren't? I think it's a very valid, valid issue. Um, you know, Tranmere are going to be relegated by not playing football, and they're going to be replaced by a team in the playoffs who are playing football. Um, you know, wh- where's the integrity in that? Mm. Okay, well, <laughs> that leads us nicely into to Mark Palios. Before we talk to Mark, is is your instinct that financially, purely financially, let's take aside the integrity of competition, but we are a financial football podcast after all. Is your instinct that financially? This will help to save more clubs. Um, I, I think it will certainly cost, uh, certainly save costs for clubs, and, and therefore that could help preserve them. Um, could that have been achieved without the the same degree of relegation taking place? Yes, that could have done as well. Right. Okay. Well, you spoke to Mark Palios because in in the circumstances, normally I get a bit comedy cross as you doing the interviews and not me. But in the circumstances, I really didn't think Mark Palios would want my light-hearted interjections into his his, his harrowing uh, some parts of which are a monologue about his, the unfairness of the relegation. Just before we hear from Mark, give us a bit of context, Kieran, please, about Mark Palios and his previous role and his role at Tranmere. Well, for those of you uh, who aren't aren't, uh, familiar with Mark, Mark's a former professional footballer himself. Um, He he then left the profession. Uh, He became head of the Football Association for a while, but he was also uh, effectively a a turnaround accountant. He was a guy, he qualified as a chartered accountant. He was very successful. He worked for one of the big firms, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and and was effectively in charge of of their business rescue uh, operation, which which is ironic given that so many football clubs are in desperate need of saving at present. Mm. So this was accountant talking to accountant, basically, wasn't it? That's how that's how he was so keen to come on and talk to you and not to talk to me. I'm guessing is that right? Um, no, I, I th- he'd more than happily uh, chatted to. Uh, he, he's uh, he's a very passionate man, Mark, and, and I've I've met him before. He's he's been kind enough to to come and talk to our students at university, um, and he's uh, he's very direct. And he knows his stuff inside out as well. And I think it's fair to say that most Tramir fans would say he's done a good job up until now, hasn't he? Oh, I, th- I think you'll say that they'll, they'll say even more than that. You know, when, when Mark took over, Tranmere were losing shed loads of money in the National League. He's taken them from the National League into League One. Um, he's, he's introduced business models and thoughts outside the box, which are very much sort of a blueprint which other clubs are now trying to follow. 
Okay, well, I believe this is the first full interview that Mark Palios agreed to give after that decision was made on Tuesday. Uh, Trust me, listeners, it's worth listening to every bit and then going back to listen to it again. Um, This is Mark Palios talking to Kieran Maguire yesterday. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. I'm, uh, I'm delighted to be joined, although perhaps in better circumstances would, be, would have been a better choice for us all, um, by Mark Palios of, from Tranmere Rovers. Um, in, in the light of the, the League One decisions yesterday, um, I, I guess the first thing to ask Mark is, is how are you feeling and, and how is everybody at Tranmere? Um, you know, you've, you've had a chance to, to sleep on it. Uh, I, I'd imagine you're still feeling fairly, fairly unhappy with what happened yesterday. Yeah, hi, Kieran. I, I, I think that it's fair to say that yesterday, uh, despite the fact that I, um, you know, you knew exactly which way this was going to go, uh, and it was unsurprising, and then that it, you're still incandescent with rage when you see it actually happening and you hear it happening. Because at the end of the day, there's, there's, a, there's a, a fundamental unfairness that I think football people uh, will recognise in our inability to 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 play out what what we think was a very good chance of us avoiding relegation, um, whereas other people with a lesser chance of getting promotion are still being given their chance to play on in a limited way to achieve that aim. So you know there's there's a massive sense of unfairness. Um, I, I also think the process was deeply flawed in the way it was handled. So you know with that as a backdrop and and with our fans in a pretty similar position, you know everybody's obviously very very sort of. Um, Annoyed, uh, disturbed, emotional, and so yesterday was one of uh, just sort of what I always do in these situations. There's a great phrase, isn't there, from the wall: "Keep calm and carry on." And so, you know, really looking at it, so we have a, a mature reflection as to exactly what we can and can't do as regards what's best for the club. So, you know, at that stage where today, you know, lots of meetings, sorting things out, including some on on um, unfortunately on redundancy, which is one of the impacts uh, of this decision. Uh, on the basis that it can't be overturned, um, so we're, we're making moves in that regard, uh, and it's very much one of, of um, 
sitting back, uh, evaluating what we can and can't do in the circumstances, and then moving forwards. I think you know the fans are very much um, uh, with us as a club. I think we're, we're, we're pretty one, one and all together. And I think the the real thing for me, you know, if you talk about revenge, and I don't like talking about revenge, nothing's motivated by that here. But if you talk about the best revenge is living well, and that's that's the intention that we have. Uh, but that doesn't mean to say that we're just going to accept what's been given to us and, and doled out on us because we haven't been relegated. We've been voted out of the league by fellow clubs. Yeah, and that's that. That clearly, understandably, uh, going to make people unhappy. Effectively, you're going to be replaced in League One next season by clubs who are going to be playing because the playoffs are taking place. But you've not been in a position where you can uh, preserve your position in League One through playing yourself. So that that does seem to be uh, an inconsistency, especially as you you know you were three points behind with a game in hand. And you get 1.74 points for that, that game. Well, you don't get 1.74 points for a game. You, you you win, lose or draw for the next nine games. So it does seem to be a, a very harsh. Uh, if, if, if COVID had happened in 2015 with Leicester City, they'd have been relegated with nine games to go. And of course, the, pre, pre, the following season, they won the Premier League. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, there are a variety of things that you touch on there, and I'm not sure I'll, I'll remember all of them, Kieran, but um, first of all, there's an inconsistency in the way it's been dealt with. So, you know, the FA, who opined on steps three to seven, came into it and said there were two reasons, one, that they stopped the league and two, that they voided it rather than um, allowing um, relegations to happen, it was specifically relegations that they were avoiding. And they said because it was patently unfair that the clubs were not given the chance to play out um, just coming back to the first reason for 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 the the nature of this being unfair is that it was essentially a financially based decision. So clubs decided that they didn't want to play out the season because their financial circumstances were were you know pretty parlous, and that's because I mean we can go on about and we, we have, I know you've talked about it, but clubs are, are living hand to mouth most of the time. So you don't have enough fat in your balance sheet to ride a run of bad luck. You don't have the gearing level that's a right, and so you will then come and start to see them struggle when something like this comes along. Now, so a financially based decision was made, and and what that makes particularly difficult. If you you can roughly split the, the top and the bottom halves of the league, probably a, a bit more into the top half of those clubs who actually wanted to cease playing because, you know, it, it was financially difficult for them. And therefore, to say that, you know, we would then have a a, a sort of a, a a playoff at the bottom of the league was definitely going to fall because those, guys, those clubs down there simply did not want, for financial reasons, to get into a playoff, especially if there was a risk that they were going to get relegated. So, you know, that was always a difficult one to pull. But... Um, you know, I was trying to achieve with our suggestions a compromise. I firmly believe that relegation shouldn't take place if you don't finish the season because the consequences are a lot more dire than, than not. Um, but I, I just wanted a compromise that, that really reflected the fact that you could um, expand the playoffs and therefore potentially increase some of the revenues. I didn't, didn't even try to evaluate that. Um, but the revenues that we did look at in terms of a slightly expanded league, um, you know, it... it, it it's in the roundings. It was basically cash neutral for most people because you'd use um, parachute payments that weren't being used and spread them out and slightly increase numbers of sharing out the central payments, etc. It all balanced out, you know. And, and you know, I, I spent years looking at the figures, so I just know that that was not really a major issue in this. So, 
broadly, it was something that was an attempt to 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 achieve a compromise that reflected the fact that certain clubs didn't want to finish the season. Right. But, but, but the <laughs> with compromises is, is that somebody ends up losing significantly. How much do you think it's going to cost you to if, if you end up in League Two next season? Sorry, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that premise, Kieran. He says that somebody with a compromise loses significantly. I think you know the ideal compromise is where people don't actually lose significantly, and, and that was my point. That you know we we I think in terms of where we are, um, okay. You, you said how much are we losing a season? Well, the first thing is it may not be a season; it might be ten years down in League Two. The second thing is it's all the sort of more esoteric losses that you make. I mean, we, we as you know, have tried to broaden out um, what we do. And we have an international business that was, that's been fairly effective so far and was on the, the verge of actually increasing and, and, and developing until uh, COVID came in. And, and it will do again. But it's far easier to do that as a League 1 club than a League 2 club or, or even as a, a National League club, which is what it was when we started. You know, if you're attracting players, it's far easier to attract players to a League One club if you're trying to get players from the Premier League. So there's all those factors that come into play and impact on the club. As a straight loss, you know, when when you start to look at um, things like um, our, our loss of the central income, which is the obvious one, you've then got the loss of the away gates that come to your club because they're, they're, they are significantly higher for us in League One than they were in League Two. And, and 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 so forth. So you've got that. You've got the F and B that comes alongside that. You've got um, clauses which relate to in sponsorship contracts, which relate to what they will give us if we're in League One as opposed to League Two. And we we estimate it'd be the thick end of a million pounds just for one season alone. Good grief! Right? Do, do you think that part of the decision to force clubs to be relegated is is coming from a fear that uh, there would a precedent would be sent? would be set and this could be used by the Premier League. And, and I know that clubs in the Championship seem to be very concerned about this. Yeah, and that, that is where I think the EFL, I can't speak to him because I don't know, but I know I had a conversation with Rick Parry, which you know fundamentally was that you know he had a, a large number of calls from Premier League clubs, sorry, from uh, Premier League wannabes, from uh, Championship clubs, who um, were alert to the fact that in League Two, they they sort of had this conference call and they said they'd made a decision. Well, you know, it, it wasn't a decision as such, but it was a direction of travel is the favourite phrase that they use. Um, there were by there was no relegation out of out of League Two. So you know, there were about eight clubs that immediately rang up and said, "Well, hang on a minute, um, you know, this is going to create a precedent for 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 the Premier League." Now, I over the course of the period of trying to move the compromise on, change from no relegations to just use my margin for error, which tries to recognise the, the 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 inherent flaws that everybody accepts exists in using PPG. But I started off with no relegations. And my, my, my belief is that, yes, this was still a fear that, that the, Premier League, the championship clubs had and that the, the EFL had of the championship clubs. Uh, and they, of course, needed only 50% of the vote to, of, their, of, of, their, of the championship to thwart the vote. But you know, if you start to analyse it, the first thing is the FA are absolutely, A, I could say, absent without leave or inconsistent. You know, so on the one hand, you have the chairman of the FA saying that um, there will be no no relegation out of the Premier League. That was, I think, prefaced on the fact that they were going to play the season out. 
and and I've been there. I don't think we've ever used. I've held the the, the, the veto. I don't think we've ever used the veto. Um, and I can only believe that that was the, um, the the function of conversations have been had with Premier League clubs, and the majority um, wanted to have relegation. And you know, I've also, it's also been retailed to me that certain of the clubs actually would prefer to see some of the bigger clubs currently residing in the Championship in 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 the Premier League. But you know, that's just hearsay. So. That was the first thing, and, and and I understand that in terms of having the relegation between basic elements of the premier of, of the pyramid. So the Premier League is a different organisation to the EFL. The shoulder elements you should have up and down between them. Relegation, no relegation as a concept in the EFL um, was as as I'd portrayed it with more clubs coming up from the the um, the the, the, the um, the National League was not a threat to the pyramid. It was like a one-year solution. And even taking it further to our final proposition, there was relegation and that was allowed. And uh, there was no relegation for clubs that were within the margin of error. So we actually adapted and said, yeah, okay, let's put relegation in. So there was, there was nothing in our proposal that would have given any sense of a precedent to the Premier League. Now, the other thing is, and if you're a football person, you, you probably understand this, I don't think there's anything that the EFL would do, with all due respect to the EFL, that would cause the Premier League to change what they're doing. You know, They will do whatever is important to them. And I think as the potential for um, the, the Premier League not being played out started to raise its head a few weeks ago, people then started to think, well, actually, there might be a situation where we don't play out the, the Premier League and the second... Um, epidemic of covid comes back and as a consequence you know well they started to think well you know my, my question then is where would um greg clark's uh, uh statement be then I, and you know I'm, I'm not sure that, that that was a real fear that should have been there but it, but i think it was a fear that that was exercised and and caused the response that we got yep yeah i can't argue with any of that I mean, it's, it's it seems it, it seems very reasonable as fans, we sign up for a 46-game season for an EFL club. Um, and it does seem incongruous that you're going to be losing your League One status for, for not playing the, the requisite number of games. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, and I, I take on board what you said earlier, that we could have had a situation whereby there are no losers significantly. Um, in the set, and, and the likes of Tranmere could have kept their place. On merit, because as as we all know, that you you were in a good run of form prior to the end, uh, prior to COVID nineteen. Do, do do you feel let down by by other clubs, or do you think they've just acted purely in self interest? I feel I feel let down by the structure of the process um, that the EFL have applied, on the basis that, as I say, you know, it's a pretty much a foregone conclusion when you set the thing up in the way that it's set up. I, I think we had to fight like hell. And caused a delay in the process, which was, you know, people saw as, a, as as an irritant because we didn't go quietly into the dark. Um, I think I think it's it's fair to say that we pushed the EFL. It's the quality of thought that I what that I didn't think was evident in anything that was coming out. So, you know, that, that we we basically, I mean, on the, pretty much in the early part of May, I was asking, what is the format that you're going to use? What are the options you're going to take? And what are the rules you're going to base it all on? And, you know, it's been eked out. Look, fundamentally, just coming back to this, there are no rules and regulations for stopping the season midway through. And therefore, for me, the logic is you either play it out or you void it. 
because there's nothing else. And that's exactly what happened in steps three to seven. And just just before they glibly dismissed this again, as well, well the, the, the figures are bigger in uh, the money's more important in, in higher up. It, it did, you know, d- does fairness have a price? You know? uh, and actually, I would argue the case is the figures are bigger. You know, then then the the financial jeopardy is bigger that you put a club in on the basis of supporting the majority. So there's all those types of arguments around that. Um, but, but fundamentally, um, I just think that the process um, was not great, um, and so it, it it puts clubs into a position whereby you know they're forced to vote and they vote against it. They they, they vote you know uh, against each other. And I, I tried to articulate to a number of the clubs in, who are potentially call it disinterested, and, and I did in one of my statements to the fans just to explain the difficulty you have in persuading clubs. The, the reasons varied from, you know, if, if you look at Rotherham, they had uh, an expectation that was built up that they had been promoted because on PPG they were going to leave them in, in, in that second spot. Whereas the reality was, as every football person knows, they were equally capable of being overhauled by about seven, seven or eight clubs. I can't remember the exact figure. So that was a false expectation set up by basically the process and going out and saying, we're going to do PPG. Um, and I don't think there was sufficient consultation and thought that went around that. Then then you look at um, uh, you know, the, the other clubs um, lower down and, and you know, they feel they should have had the expectation to, you know, to satisfy their, their sporting chance of promotion. Then you look further down the league at ourselves. There's a whole clutch of clubs then who are really not that interested in what the result is. And that, that apathy um, is really one of the, the main arguments I have against setting it up the way that it was. We were set up in that regard. It was set, the process was set up and it was quite obvious that they would vote in the way that they were, unless they were persuaded otherwise about the fairness or otherwise of doing this. And whilst Chairman spoke to me and said, yeah, you know, we think it's unfair, uh, I tried to characterise for them the choice was either voting for um, the the because what came out was this marginal this fear of a, a a marginal greater risk of relegation next year by having five teams go down rather than four. Um, having said that, it's not it, it isn't that sort of um, stark on the basis that you got you got twenty five teams instead of twenty four teams or 23 as we have this year. So, you know, that was the marginal decision they had to vote for, as opposed to the the, the absolute certainty that they were putting us in financial jeopardy uh, for the sake of actually you know, just avoiding that marginal risk going forwards. And for me, whilst people can glibly say, well, this is a pandemic and um, you can't satisfy everybody, equally I could say this is a pandemic and the price of one um, extra relegation place in League One next season, because League One's where the fault line is, does that really is that really a price that's, that, that you would pay in terms of the football family, the, the fabled football family? Um, and, and I think in that regard, to answer your question in that regard, um, I, I feel, uh, yeah, I, I feel that don't come to me and talk about the football family again and don't really come to me and talk about the collective because I think the collective response within the industry has been woeful. Uh, and, you know, I have said in a couple of articles that, you know, unfortunately for me, I think the time has come to seriously consider um, a regulator and that's certainly something that I think should be done once you look at the collective response of the football industry to, you know, an external threat. Okay, you know, the pandemic is a threat we hopefully will not face again in the future, but it does has massively highlighted the flaws in the structure of the game. 
Kieran Forthright is um, is the word, isn't it? And, and clearly, he's very upset. I, I, the thing I wrote down was two things in particular. We've not been relegated; we've been voted out. Is is how he's putting it? Yes, and uh, you know, he he thinks that relegation should be based on forty six games. Tranmere had you know they they'd gone into a run of form just before the playoffs. Sorry, just before uh, the close down, and um, he's got faith in his players. So, uh, yeah, he was he was you know it was very evident that he felt that they had a fighting chance. If you look at Leicester City in 2015, you know, they would have they would have been relegated under this system. And of course, the following year they won the Premier League. If you look at League One this this time last season, uh, three of the four clubs who were in the bottom four escaped relegation. So, you know, his, his comments are you know, have have some merit. Now, you and I are not the sort of people to cynically exploit something for PR purposes, but luckily our producer is, and he's listening. And if, if I was looking for something to take to the press, his comments about the Premier League and Leeds United were, were pretty on the nose, weren't they? I mean, basically saying the Premier League don't care about the rest of football, they want big clubs in the Premier League, and that basically means Leeds United. Yeah, and, and there's no doubt that Leeds United have been you know, the best team in, in the championship um, this season. And uh, part of the reason he feels that relegation um, was approved of because there was there was pressure put on uh, the clubs in the lower leagues because of this fear of setting a precedent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, we're still in the Premier League, um, we do have other stories this week. I mean, this is the one that's dominated the, the headlines. Not as much as I thought it would do, to be honest, which again is, is a, another indication that, as Mark hinted, the, the media uh, in this country are way more interested in the Premier League than anything else. Um, but in the Premier League, Everton's players and staff voluntarily agreed to a wage deferral. I, I, every time I say the word voluntarily, I can't help but put it in inverted commas almost, but they have voluntarily agreed to a wage deferral, haven't they? Both the players and the staff. That, that's right. Um, and this is all to do with cash. And, you know, and clearly we've, we've spoken about the importance of cash flow to a club um, o- over the course of the summer. Um, Everton do have very wealthy owners, but I think there's a limit to even how much money they're prepared to put into the club. If you take a look at Everton last season, it lost over a hundred million pounds in a in a pre-COVID economy. So clearly, this season and for the start of 2020-21, whenever or if ever that takes place, um, that they're going to be incurring significant costs as well. So it does show that uh, you know the players and and the the management team are in discussions. They are talking to each other. The players will get their their wages um, at eventually. Um, but I think the important thing in terms of the deferral is that it would be after that the first tranche of money comes in from the TV companies. That normally is paid to the Premier League in June or late June, and this will allow uh, the Premier League to A, count up the money um, once the uh, once this season's final, uh, final tables have been uh, finished uh, because it's, it works out as around about £2.5 million per place in the Premier League. So those final nine fixtures are probably more important than ever before uh, for a club's finances. Um, and, and it will just give Everton some breathing space over the summer. Uh, obviously, there are, there are, there's volunteering and there's volunteering. I doubt very much whether the players and the staff went to the chairman and said, look, boss, we, we'll, we'll happily take a 50% pay cut. I presume this is an initiative that came from the club, isn't it? 
Yes, um, I think that many clubs have had discussions with players. It's either come through the managers or their, their representatives. Um, and I think actually the, the thing which is most revealing is how relatively few clubs in the Premier League where um, issues of this nature have now been approved. Certainly there's been a lot of discussions between players and owners and chief executives, but um, no, no agreements have been made for an awful lot of clubs in the Premier League. Uh, and I was a bit surprised by that. And, and I did have a word with somebody uh, who I know connected to a club um, and, and they said a lot of it's got to do with the, the lack of trust between the two parties. A lot of players historically have been promised things by owners, by chief executives and things of this nature, only for those promises to not materialise. And, and that's why they, the players have been reluctant at times to go ahead with wage deferrals, even though they can see the, the economic benefits to the club of taking such an approach. <clears throat> Always a little shiver goes down my spine when I hear you say, I had a word with someone. You make it sound so sinister. I had a word with someone. Anyway, um, do you know what? It was lovely to hear you. You mentioned that Everton loss. You came on the Palace pod yesterday to talk about Palace's accounts. And uh, you made me almost nostalgic because I was looking at the other lads on Zoom while you were talking about a £100 million loss here and £40,000 a day here. And, of course, this is all grist to the mill for me. I'm taking it for granted. But watching three people who have never heard you talk about these figures before in the Premier League, I was almost misty-eyed watching three other people's eyebrows go up and down as you filled them in, on, <laughs> especially on what a basket case of championships. They just kept talking about that afterwards. Is, is that true about the championship? I say, yeah, Kieran, Kieran tells no lies. Uh, not to his listeners, anyway, basically. <laughs> um, now, we've been talking a lot about season ticket refunds. Swansea City have come up with a novel idea for their fans, haven't they? Yes, I mean what what Swansea have done is first of all I think this is this is certainly a progressive approach. They've engaged the supporters trust. The supporters trust do own a proportion of the shares in the in, in the club and this is always good for getting some form of stakeholder discussion um to go forwards. So so what Swansea have said, they, they've put forward about seven or eight different packages that fans can have. But I think the most intriguing one was to say that if they turn down a refund um, and, uh, and they let the club keep the money for this season, if Swansea are promoted, uh, the fan will get a 50% discount off next year's season ticket price in the Premier League, which is, as you, you can imagine, must be quite tempting. Yeah, so it's only if they're promoted next season. It's not in the next two or three seasons, just next season. Well, well yeah, yeah. So, okay. so this season, this season. This season, this season Robert. Now, yeah. without looking at the league table, whereabouts are they in the table? Well, they're, 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 they're not certs. Uh, I think that's the politest way of putting it. Um, they're on the outskirts. Um, it, would, it would need an extremely good run. But, you know, if, it, it's a bit like sticking your money on the Grand National. Uh, you know, if you think you're in with a chance and it's a, it's, it's an outsider, um, it, it's worth having a go. Um, there, there's other, there, there's a variety of things that uh, you, you can um, just pay effectively for one person in the household to have dreams. Um, you can get discounts off, uh, off off merchandise if you if you commit to. Um, signing up for the stream as an alternative to a season ticket refund and that stream will cover both home and away games so it's it's more than just the, the four or five home games they left and i thought one of the things which was sweetest was that you get a a, a card signed by the the chairman the manager and the players if you didn't ask for your money back 
Oh, that's nice. Well, well done, Swansea. Uh, <clears throat> and fan consultation, that's the way ahead. Now, we are recording this on Wednesday afternoon because of your other uh, media commitments. Um, I believe you've got a Mansfield Town pod uh, and an interview on BBC Radio Lanarkshire. Um, so this, but this story is li- literally, and I've, I know I say literally too much, I apologise, uh, Charlton's majority shareholders have just completed the sale of the club to a consortium led by businessman Paul Elliott. And again, businessman is like voluntarily. I always put it in inverted commas. So, but businessman Paul Elliott has bought Charlton. Who is he and what does this mean for the club? Um, well, he's he's a guy that sort of made his money in, in the property industry. Um, the, the story of Charlton Athletic in, in 2020 is a sad one. It was uh, they, their old owner, Roland de Chachelet, the um, intriguing Belgian, um, wasn't <laughs> popular with fans. Um, but he still owned the the ground and the training facilities. He effectively sold Charlton Athletic for one pound to East Street Investments. Um, and I think we discussed this a, a month or two ago. Uh, the the two the two sort of key parties at East Street Investments then had a major fallout. Um, they they weren't able to uh, furnish the EFL with sufficient information with regards to passing the owners and directors test in in terms of their uh, cash reserves to take the club forwards and and this is this is a this is a genuine ongoing problem east street investments has now sold charlton athletic football club to uh, to mr elliot but he himself has not passed the owners and directors test so charlton won't be able to sign any players in theory until we go through these hoops now, as we've previously discussed, there's two elements to the owners and directors test. Firstly, there's there's an issue of criminality, and that one's very easy to pass if you, you know, if you're not wearing a tag, if you if you're not inside, if you if you're not got a record for uh, convictions which are have not ex- have yet to expire, then then you pass that relatively easily. The second element of the owners and directors test is more complex. It's do you have the resources? Do, can you evidence that you've got funds to affect? Um, underwrite this club for the next couple of years based on it, its current level of finances. Now, just remind me, but does the Chatelet still own the ground and the training ground? Yes, he does. And as part of the deal with East Street Investments, my, my understanding, and I hopefully I've not got this wrong, is that the new owners were going to pay him around about £50 million in a separate transaction um, from buying the club itself. So, therefore, in theory, um, Mr. Elliot is now going to have to make that purchase. Because that always sets alarm bells ringing for any Palace fan as well. Because you know, when Mark Goldberg bought the club, you know, Ron Nose retained uh, basically the, the, the freehold of the ground. He owned the ground and there's nothing we could do about that. And that, that caused all sorts of problems down the line. So, it, essentially, they've paid to buy the name Charlton Athletic at the moment without owning the ground or the training facilities. There's not that much they do own, is there? Correct. It, you know, it, it is the name. It is the goodwill, um, and, and yeah, there, there's not there's not a lot else. And effectively, you're, what are you buying? It's a commitment to pay the wages for the future. Um, in, in a division where you know Charlton, they are at risk of being relegated. Um, so therefore, you could be effectively paying paying that money for a, a League One existence next season. You know, if uh, if and when that takes place, on, under what uh, under what circumstances, we we are yet to find out. 
And finally, we had some good news for Rochdale fans a week or so ago, but less this week. Well, well yes, there there are concerns at Rochdale. Um, one of the uh, one of the major shareholders, who I think is also is, is involved as uh, as a uh, one of the directors, uh, a guy called Andrew Kelly, he put a very long letter on the Rochdale website. Um, there has been uh, a part acquisition of the club from uh, from American investors for something called Smarter Scout. This is a guy called Dan Altman, um, and uh, he operates one of these sort of th- these these data based uh, analyses of players. And I think what was what he was hoping to do via Smarter Scout was to use um, Rochdale. Um, as an example of how you can identify playing talent that's been uh, let go elsewhere um, through using metrics and, and then effectively to have a model where the club makes its profits from player sales on the back of that. So it's, it's not dissimilar to what we're seeing at clubs such as Brentford. Um Mr. Kelly has has expressed his reservations about this. He's concerned that there's some type of uh, Glazer-style takeover from from Smarter Scout. Um, Glazer's, of course, referring to Manchester United. He's uh, he's 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 very concerned about this. Uh, again, the fans' trust owns a proportion of the shares, so so things are are, are rumbling, um, and there's a degree of discomfort. I, mean, I, I went on to. Uh, the Rochdale website, and also one of my mates uh, is a big Dale fan, uh, the Prowler, um, who I used to share a room with on cricket tour. Um, and uh, yeah, the Prowler's not a happy man. So put it put it no uh, more than that. I, do you know what? With a name like that, I don't think anybody who meets the Prowler is likely to be a happy man either. Like I just the who who would put the Baron and the Prowler together in the same room on a cricket tour? <laughs> You, there's no, I can't think of any good reason why he might be called the Prowler. I really can't. So, but just, just on the, off the back of the Rochdale story, this won't affect the the good news that we had for Rochdale fans a couple of weeks ago, which was the loan from the council to, to help see them through. This won't affect that, will it? No, no. This this is this is completely independent of that. So, uh, I mean, I, I think that was a very progressive approach taken by the council to uh, to acknowledge the good that the club does, and, and also to acknowledge you know that, that it is a a part fan owned club, um, and and you know th- these things are uh, you know are very encouraging. Mm. Um, we, we've also seen, or sort of on the back of this, and this sort of this links to a couple of other uh, issues we've looked at today, um, that Lincoln City. Um, they've said to fans, again, we'll give you a refund if you want one. But as an alternative to that, um, you can have uh, shares in the club instead of your refund. Okay. And you too can become a part owner. So uh, you know, Lincoln's one of those clubs which sees itself as community-based, progressive, um, and is and is trying to get more fan involvement and engagement. Uh, and this is certainly, uh, you know, it's it's a very novel way of of allowing fans to to have more of a say in the running of the club. Well, we'll keep an eye on that story because one thing we're all for on this pod is uh, fan engagement. Um, we, we've come to the end of our time, uh, our arbitrarily decided time by our producer. Um, but we'll be back here on Monday with our questions pod. And if you've got any questions for us, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. Um, now, I've got, a, I've got a little statement to read out at the end, Kieran. It's, it's by way of a shout out. Um, before I say that, by the way, if you've got questions about the Prowler, direct them to Kieran rather than us. I, I I hadn't heard of the Prowler until now. I suspect neither had the Baroness. Um, I've got a feeling that Kieran drip feeds some of the people these 
in, from his previous life into the Baroness's conscience. Um, I was going to say that's not all the drip feeds, but that's for a different pod. Now, basically, this some of you have been, you may have noticed that um, you can you can support the pod financially, basically. Now, a lot of you have been doing this. Not as many of you have been correcting us about German football team names, but... Um, what our producer would like would like to say to you is that we don't expect you to. You're very welcome to enjoy the price of football for free. But if you would like to support the pod financially, you can do so by visiting supporter.acast.com forward slash price of football. Or you can just click the link if you're listening in the ACAST app. And we thought it would be a nice idea to say thank you to a lot of the people who have supported us so far, including Badly Drawn Boys. And that's boys with an H. So I suspect he and I would get on together. Uh, he says, uh, hopefully this donation will help you buy a round one day. Uh, tap water for Kieran, obviously. Uh, thank you to John, M54. I presume that's where he lives. Uh, Peter Adolfson Lerman. I apologise if I don't pronounce that correctly. Thank you to Johnny Umbro, who says, can Kevin say Nigel Martin went downhill after he left Bristol Rovers to rejoin Crystal Palace? That would be great. Johnny, for £3.00. I'm more than happy to say Nigel Martin went downhill after he left Bristol Rovers to join Crystal Palace. Ryan says, I love this, I came for the football finance chat. I stayed for the stories from the Baron. Um, Thank you to Pato FC, to Kelvin, to Brett Lodge and to Nobby, uh, who says, if you told me six months ago I'd look forward to hearing from a Brighton supporting accountant every week, you'd have received a high level of abuse. But here I am living with the reality, and it's now to do with lockdown. Keep up the great work, and thanks for the shocks and laughs. Martin Searle, a.k.a. Carl Eagle, I will see you in the portion soon, my friend. Dr. Bob, it's the only podcast I listen to, in which case you can pay more than three quid, Bob, can't you? Andy McNeil, as a... as a as, Andy McNeil's... I like this, because he's put... I, it took me a minute to work out what he meant, because he's put, as a CA... I've always played down my love of spreadsheets. Now, I thought this might be something to do with the police or, you know, American detectives. But, of course, it's chartered accountant. Now, I'll say this to every chartered accountant. Calling yourself a CA doesn't make it any cooler. It really doesn't. But as a CA, Andy, thank you very much. Andy's always played down his love of spreadsheets. But now, thanks to the show, he's shouting about it. And it's also made me do some reading, Kieran's book and ones he recommended. And finally, Stu from Pompeii, who says, only recently found this pod been binge listing while driving my van probably the most insightful show into football great work chaps great work for you for listening to us that will be the last of the shout outs i do because i'm not a natural shouter out so i'm not that sort of comedian um but i said i'd do it for guy uh, and he said he'd look into getting us expenses uh, as we're not traveling anywhere we won't be getting any expenses so kieran thank you for today thank you for that remarkable interview with with mark palios i think that will probably garner some attention not just from Tramia fans but from fans all over the all over the country and the world where we have listeners so it's goodbye to you and goodbye to the prowler goodbye to the prowler and uh, stay safe boys and girls take care now bye everybody bye the price of football. I'm so full of